Do you guys know what the most common last name in the United States is? Any guesses? Smith. Oh, yeah. You guys got it right. Really? Yeah, you're right. It's Smith. And Smith, according to the 2010 census, had 2,442,977 people with that last name. And last names are pretty interesting. They hold information in them, even if we don't really pay attention to it sometimes. Last names give information about the region that a person may come from, where they originated, uh, maybe even what that person used to do or what their family line used to do a long time ago. Smith is one of these examples. Smith is an English name, which, as you guys can guess where it comes from, has to do with smithing. So smitan was this Anglo-Saxon word that means to strike something or to smite something. And people who were smiths, blacksmiths, silversmiths, started to get the name of Smith. So it makes enough sense. Imagine you're in a small English village and there are like 10 Johns running around, right? Sorry, John, not to pick on your name, but it's a common name. So there are like 10 Johns running around and you're like, how are we going to keep track of all these Johns? Well, you start calling, oh, that's John the Smith. And that's John the Miller, and it goes on. And eventually, you just shorten it to John Smith and John Miller, right? So Miller is one of those other names. A Miller is, of course, someone who grinds grain with a millstone and using a mill, right? So this kind of thing makes sense, how it kind of came about. And it runs from generation to generation, especially since kids often stayed within the same family business. So now you've got bunch of John Smith and his kids and a, and a John Miller and his kids running around your English village. Now there's a couple other last names, or a lot of other last names that kind of fall in this line. So for example, like Taylor, right? Tailors make clothes. So if you're a tailor, eventually you just said, instead of saying John the Taylor, now you're just John Taylor. And there's other languages that do this. It's not just English. Schneider is the German version of Taylor, so you might know a couple of Taylors or Snyders, or if we're in this part of the Michigan, the Dutch name Clearmaker, Clearmakers, K-L-E-E-R, might be often used as well. So Cooper's another name like this. Does anybody know what a Cooper does? They make barrels. Yeah, you're right. They make barrels. I watched a whole documentary on the last <laughs> on the last Cooper in England who does everything by hand. It was extremely interesting. Get all the angles. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Fletcher. Does anybody know what a Fletcher does? They make arrows. They, the, the fletchings at the back of an arrow, right, Mike? You're, you bow hunt. The fletchings at the back of an arrow, you know, the people who make arrows are called Fletchers. And there's a bunch of names like this. I mean, we got archers, barbers, bowmen's, brewers, butlers, carpenters, carvers, cooks, drapers, <laughs> farmers. A draper is someone who makes wool fabrics. Farmers, fishers, foresters, fowlers, people who take care of birds. Gardeners, people who garden. I, that wasn't self-explanatory. Hunters, masons, pipers, potters, saddlers, shepherds, shoemakers, skinners, tanners, weavers, and wheelers. And it's pretty obvious that this was a popular thing to do. Because <laughs> there's a lot of those names out there. But our identity informs how we are named. Right? Or sometimes what we are called changes our identity. 
And we see this an awful lot, obviously, with people's names. And titles sometimes change who we are. So like Sir John Smith. You know, that could change how people view you or your authority and your influence. Now, I'm not going to change my last name to Shepherd now that I'm a pastor. <laughs> Although I am a little bit tempted because Cain carries some negative connotations in the Bible commentary. If a Smith, <laughs> if a, <laughs> in the community, uh, Cain's not a great name for the, a pastor, maybe. You know, Smiths, blacksmith Cain's are known for their murdering. <laughs> so... Moving on, we're going to be talking about how we can get new identities, which thankfully for me, I'm not defined by Cain and the Bible. We're going to be talking about new identities through our faith and how our names and titles have been changed by Jesus. So if you would, please turn with me to the book of John. We're going to look at chapter 15. Now, in this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples as he often does. That's a very Jesus thing to do. And he uses the analogy, which he's also very apt to do. He uses metaphors and parables. He's using an analogy, in this case, of a vineyard to help his disciples understand what he's talking about. Now, if you guys don't know how a vineyard works, it's where they grow grapes. And there's a person who is the master of the vineyard. He's the horticultural expert. He's the one who knows where to trim, when to trim, when to do things throughout the year to make sure that these grapes produce the most they can. And sometimes that, that means cutting parts of the plants away. And sometimes that means pruning healthy branches back so that you get more ramification and more fruit, right? So do the same thing with apple trees and orchards. And then obviously there, there's the main vine itself that you need to take care of and properly water. And off of that comes the branches and the leaves, the flowers, and ultimately the fruit, so now that we kind of have this idea of this vineyard in our mind, we can see, we can see the, the lines of grapes and the vines growing up and the branches and the grapes coming off and the guy trimming them all. Let's go ahead and read John chapter 15. Now this is Jesus talking. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. That's the guy who takes care of it. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch that dries up, and they are gathered and then cast into the fire to be burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Now, look at verse 15. 
No longer do I call you slaves, for slaves do not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now notice how Jesus is talking to his followers. He's saying, be a part of me, as a branch is a part of the vine. Right? That's a really big metaphor. The branch cannot survive without the vine, right? You cut the branch off. I, you know I like bonsai trees. We've established this. I, and I cut a branch off to prune it to make that branch better. The part that I cut off doesn't last very long, right? It, it's no longer connected to the source of life. And that's what we were talking about on, in July 4th. I know that's a long time ago, a, few, a couple weeks ago. We are talking about abiding, right? We talked about the difference between living in a hotel and your home, right? The home, the home is where your center is. It's where you find life. Abiding means to make that your everything. And we can see Jesus begging his disciples, say, abide in me, abide in my love, be in me, just as a branch is a part of the vine. That's how much I want you to be consumed by who I am and rely on me for your life. And we, we see that Jesus wants us to be a part of him. So when we're connected to the vine, we're, we are part of what Jesus is. Right? So we get, we get what Jesus gets. Right? The vine and the branch, they're not separate parts of the same plant. Or they're not separate plants, they're part of the same plant. What Jesus gets, we also get. What he partakes in, we also partake in. And that's what he's trying to say. He's including us in what he's about. That's what he says in verse 15. No longer do I call you slaves, right? Slaves don't know what's going on in the master's house. But I call you friends. And friends are part of the household. Jesus is saying that our identity is no longer slaves of this world, but we are now a part of Jesus. And if we're friends of the Son, we get special privileges in the house of the Father. So think about this real-life example, which you've probably experienced at some point. If you have kids, or if you've had kids, you've probably had their friends over to your house. Aaron, I know this happens. Kevin, this happens to you a lot. And if, you're, if you've been a kid, which all of us have or are currently, you probably had friends over to your parents' house, right? Ellie, have you ever invited a friend over to your parents' house? Yeah. I know you have for a fact. <laughs> so, the thing is with friends, sometimes they help themselves as if it's their house, right? So you get, you get people walking in and taking food right out of your fridge and cupboards, right? They don't ask. The friends just walk in and get snacks. They leave their smelly shoes in the middle of the floor. Aaron, I, I think I'm talking right to you. Yeah. <laughs> they fall asleep on your couch. They use your pool when you're not there. They don't even ask, right? That's because they're friends. They're welcome into your house. But that does not work for people that you pay to be in your house, right? So let's think of a plumber, an electrician, or something like that. So the plumber can't just go in and open your fridge and grab a Coke out and it'd be okay. He can't leave his smelly shoes out in the middle of the floor or sprawl out on the couch or just come over and use your pool whenever he wants that would not be okay. It's because he's an employee, not a friend. 
And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying we're no longer the slaves. We're no longer those outsiders who aren't a part of the end group. You're friends. You're welcomed in to become a part of what we're doing here. And we are being called friends. We're being described in these new ways. So I used to be Josiah the slave, right? But now I'm Josiah the friend. And the same is true for all of you. And if we wanted to, we could start using that as our new family name because that's our identity. We're not Smiths and Taylors or Millers. We're family. I could be Josiah friend, Amber friend, right? <laughs> Trina friend. Or if we wanted to use the term uh, child of God, we could shorten it to child. It could be Elaine child or Tanner child. <laughs> because that's our identity. That defines who we are now. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how great a love the Father has given us, that we would be called children of God. And in fact, we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it didn't know Him. The world don't get what we're about anymore. Because we're different than the world now, in a good way. Right? Not in a bad way. We're different in the best kind of way. We've changed. We've partaken in a new identity. And we're filled with new power and perspective and understanding because of this new identity. Let me show you what I'm talking about. So later in chapter 15 and into chapter 16, Jesus goes on to explain. We're not going to read it all. Jesus goes on to explain the difficult parts of being a follower of Jesus. He says that people are going to persecute us and hate us, kick us out of our communities sometimes when they find out how we've changed, or even threaten to kill us or maybe fall through with it on Jesus' behalf. Jesus warns his disciples that things are going to get tough. And then he makes it worse when he says, hey, by the way, I've just broke all this bad news to you. I'm also going to leave you alone. Like, I'm leaving you guys. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? This does not sound like something I signed up for. But then he says, I'm leaving you, but I'm going to come back. And when I come back, the joy that you feel is going to be made full. And no one is going to be able to take it away from you. He's talking about his death and resurrection. And he finishes his message to his disciples with these words. If you have your Bible open still, you can look at John 16, verse 33. I got it up here on the screen as well. This is how Jesus finishes his speech to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So this is the new power and perspective and understanding that we get when we become a branch of the vine. In the face of tribulation and hardship, we can have courage because Jesus has overcome the world. Remember how over the last few weeks, I'm talking two weeks ago and the week before that, we've come to this understanding that overcoming the world means to defeat death and sin 
and the systems of this world and the difficult things. And when things get tough, we aren't going to fold. We, we don't have to succumb to that pressure because Jesus has already beaten those things for us. We're no longer slaves. We're part of his household. We're part of the things that he is about. And we're not tied to this life. We are tied to the life of the vine. And the life of the vine is eternal. And so will ours be eternal. And not only that, if we look at, go back to John 15, the master vine dresser is the one watching over the vines. That's God, by the way. God doesn't let wicked animals come in and destroy his fruit. He watches over it. He keeps us safe. There is nothing, I mean nothing in this age, that can take that truth away from us. And that's the truth that John 8 says will set us free. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. It gives us power and understanding because I, our, our identities have been changed. And we're known by new names. We're known by friends and sons, not slaves. So let's get to the application here. As John 13, 16, 33 said, we are going to face tribulation. If you're going to follow Jesus, you are going to experience some hardship in your life because of that commitment. This isn't going to be the most popular message you've ever heard. But things are going to get tough. Think about it this way. This might give you a little bit of encouragement. You can't be an overcomer. You can't overcome the world unless you face trials from the world. Right? You can't be an Olympian unless you go to the Olympics. Right? You can't be an overcomer unless you experience trial. But that means you get to be an overcomer when you do. John 15, 18, Jesus says this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. All right? So Jesus is pretty much saying, hey, this is going to happen. And when it does happen, remember, this isn't something to do with you. It's about me. They hated me. And because now that you're a part of me, they're going to hate you too. And John, the one who wrote this book, the one who wrote 1 John, understands this. He said in 1 John 3.13, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. That's not a shock. It's not a surprise. Because we're not about this world. Life as a follower of Jesus will not always be peaches and cream. Now, I'm not a huge fan of peaches and cream anyway, but some people are. And that's an, an idiom for good things. It's not always going to be good things. But what Jesus does promise us is that we will have the power to stand strong through the tribulation. Because his victory has given us the courage and peace and power that we need to be overcomers. Another thing I want us to remember is that you have a new identity. You are called by a new title. You are no longer slaves. You are friends, sons of God, part of his household. And it's hard to drive home how important this really is, right? I mean, we say it, we're living it right now, but we sometimes don't understand it or feel it. Here's something, one last little example, I think, that can help us grasp what it means to be a part of a new family or a new identity. 
Here's a question for you. How would your life be different right now if your last name was Meyer or DeVos? How would your life be different right now if you were a part of their families? I know I'd be traded into my 05 Grand Marquis today, right? <laughs> yeah, I know it's a nice card, <laughs> but I would be trading it in, and Amber would be really happy. <laughs> Just think about it. When, when you'd become a, a part of a different family, things change. And in the case of Meyer at, or DeVos, that might mean a lot more money and influence. But what you would get by being a part of those families is nothing but tarnished pennies compared to what you get when you become a part of the family of God. Such as eternal life, freedom from the shame of sin, access to the creator of the universe, a community of God's people that spans the majority of the earth's population, and overall an inheritance that is worth more than all the money on this planet. Having our identity in Jesus changes everything. Don't you feel some peace and courage from that? Knowing that Jesus, the man who conquered death, has your back. I know I do. And I want us to realize that there is no person, organization, government, or authority more powerful than Jesus. And if he's on our side, we ain't got nothing to worry about. There is, more, there is no more important thing that we can do in our lives than decide to become a follower of Jesus. To love him and follow his commandments. To believe that he's the son of God. Because if we do, we get a new name. We get a new title. And we're no longer slaves, but we're friends. We're no longer children of this world, but we become children of God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this great opportunity. For how you've worked in our lives, for the things that you do, your plan of salvation. It's absolutely amazing what you want to give to us. And how you love us. I just pray that we live in that. That we can be good branches that produce good fruit. That bring you joy. Work in our lives. Shape us to the way that you desire. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.